Pastor Danny, it's uh, already been a good morning of worship, and it's only going to get better as we go to God's Word. I invite you to take your copy of the Bible today and open it to the end of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 25. We, uh, we bid farewell, at least for a time, to this uh, blessed book of Hebrews, and uh, I have to say that uh, I'm really disappointed that there aren't 13 more chapters of Hebrews to preach through. Uh, man, it, is just, it has been uh, an awesome time in, in God's Word. We've been here the better part of the last year, uh, 26, I think. Uh, sermons from the letter to the Hebrews that we started almost exactly uh, a year ago at this time. I had a couple breaks in there uh, uh, along the way, but but here we are now at the end. As I was reading through the end of, of Hebrews and study this week, I was reminded of, uh, well, really we have here in verses particularly 20 and 21, uh, a benediction, which is a, a blessing for the road, so to speak, for the church that the author of the Hebrews is writing to. And I was thinking, outside of church, what sort of, uh, what, what sort of habits or what sort of patterns do we have of, of, uh, that, that are similar to benedictions? Where do we give benedictions in other parts of life? And I thought, you know, um, yearbooks. In, in, in elementary school, middle school, high school, at the end of the year, you get a yearbook with everybody's picture in it and all that other stuff. And you go around and you have all your friends sign your yearbook. And they usually give you some sort of message of encouragement or something like that for the summer ahead. And so this week I went to uh, my mom's house and because she had six tubs of books in her shed that she has been begging me to get out of her shed because they're my books uh, anyway. And so I went to go pick them up and in one of those tubs were all of my yearbooks from kindergarten through uh, my senior year of high school. And Friday night I laid them all out on the, uh, on the bed and I was flipping through them and Nikki said, what in the world are you doing? And I said, nothing healthy, I'm sure. And uh, so I looked through and I was thinking, you know, I'll, I'll, use a, I'll use a yearbook message from one of my classmates to, to illustrate what a modern benediction looks like. Looking at some of the things that some of my classmates wrote, I decided I need to find another illustration. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so while I was digging through some other books, uh, other of those tubs yesterday, I found a, a binder that, uh, that had a picture of me and a picture of some other uh, youth and students, a binder that was put together in 2006 before I moved to California to go to seminary. It was a binder of thank you letters that was written uh, by my youth minister at the time and, uh, or, or that I was serving with and, uh, and the several students that I had, uh, ha- had been serving as a summer youth intern that year. And I was reading through and was really touched by the gratitude that many people had, had shared. But I was especially encouraged by this word from uh, my youth minister that I worked under, Robert Wright, who said, and I think this is a good illustration uh, of a modern benediction properly used. He said in his letter to me, he said, finally, I'm praying that you love people. The key to ministry is to love people and to serve them. It is difficult to maintain this, as you know, but... You and I both need to continue to ask for extra measures of God's grace in so doing. That's a good example of a benediction. That's a whole lot better than have a cool summer, see you later, keep in touch. So here at the end of Hebrews, which is a sermon-like letter to these first century Jewish background believers, the author of Hebrews leaves them a, a benediction, a word for the road, closing remarks. And as the author of Hebrews here bids farewell to his audience to his readers, he assures them in his benediction that God, who wills us to do what is pleasing, 
will himself equip us to do his will in and by the person of his very son, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior and great shepherd. We'll focus our thoughts on this idea this morning, that God, through Christ, enables our total obedience to his will. That's the benediction, essentially, of Hebrews 13. God, through Christ, will enable your total obedience to his will. And so as we think upon this truth, let us then this morning, as followers of Jesus, come to so deeply and depend upon the sufficiency of Jesus that we are ready to say yes to whatever God may desire, whatever he may will for us. Would you join me in honoring God by reading his, as we read his word by standing with me as you're comfortably able? The author of Hebrews and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit concludes his letter this way. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal, of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is God's word. You may be seated. God, through Christ, enables our total obedience to his will. Which God? Well, friends, not just any God. Which God enables us this way? Not just any God. As verse 20 tells us, this is the God of peace. This God is the one who makes peace between sinful human beings and himself by sending Jesus, his son, to make purification for our sins. As we were introduced to Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, the one who makes purification for our sins. This is how God makes peace between himself, who is perfectly holy and without sin, and rebellious, sinful, treasonous human beings like us. He makes peace between himself and us by sending his son to die for the sins that we've committed against him. Hear how Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 speaks about the wonderful peace that God brings between parties at conflict, especially between himself and those who have sinned against him. Paul says in Ephesians 2.14, Christ himself is our peace who has made us both one. Speaking here of Jews and Gentiles, ethnic, different ethnic groups who previously were, were opposed to one another, but now in Christ have been made one family. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have, Jews and Gentiles, access in one spirit to the Father. This is not just any God who is going to equip his people to do his will. This is the God of peace, the one who has reconciled sinners to himself through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. It is this God whose eternal plan to rescue sinners comes to fulfillment in Jesus, his son. Jesus, who not only unites forgiven sinners to himself by faith, but also who unites and reconciles sinners to one another. 
This is the great truth of the gospel, the great hope of peace that lies in the gospel, that there's not just hope for peace with God, but there's hope for peace among one another. The God of peace is the one who will equip his people to do his will. And he's also the very God who raised Jesus from the dead, as we read from verse 21. Now, may the God of peace who brought again the Lord, uh, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. It's incredibly important that we remember regularly, all the time, every time we gather, that Jesus lives. It's important for us to remember that Jesus died for sins, yes, but it's all, all the more important for us to remember that he now lives, and he lives because God, who enables us to do his will, has raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus lives now, today, because he's been risen. He lives to make intercession for us to the Father, as we saw in Hebrews 7. That Jesus, because he lives, is seated at the right hand of the Father, as we saw in Hebrews 8. That Jesus, who God has raised by his power, is a mediator of a new covenant by his blood, as we read in chapter 12. And in the same chapter that he is, this risen Jesus who lives forever, the king of an unshakable kingdom. Who is this God who enables people to do his will? He's the God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead. He is proven to be, Jesus is proven to be all that he is, as great mediator, as a king of an unshakable kingdom, the one seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is proven to be all that we need because he is risen from the grave by the power of God. And it is the God of peace whose power brought Jesus' body to life. It is the God of peace who by his power raised Jesus from the dead. And it is the God of peace who by his power seated Christ, his son, next to him in glory. Dear friends, this God, the God of peace, who equips us to do his will, is not any old, generic, stereotypical, old man in the sky with a long white beard God. Take all your preconceived notions of what God is. And blow them out of the water. This God that is presented to us in Hebrews and has been presented to us in Hebrews is so much better than the representations of him that appear in frescoes by Michelangelo within the, uh, within the chapel, the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican in Rome. He's far better than the comic book depictions that we, or, or comic strip depictions of God that we see in the Sunday comics. This God is far better than a genie in a bottle on your nightstand, waiting for you to call on him. This God is a God of peace who with all his power has raised Jesus from the dead and he will equip us to do every good work. Now listen, this is not just any God who is equipping us. And this God does not equip us for just any good work. Not just any good work. He he equips us to do something specific. Verse 21 picks up the the, the, the part of the prayer, the part of the, uh, the second half of the benediction. May the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will. God equips us not to just do any good thing, but specifically to do his will, to do, to fulfill his desire, his intention for our lives. The final prayer of the author of Hebrews here is that God will give to believers, will give to Christians everything good that they need in order to pursue his desires, his plan, his intentions for their life. And we're taught by Jesus in Matthew 5 to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is to say, perfectly. 
here in Hebrews 13, 21, we are assured that God will do his will. Nothing will thwart his purposes. Nothing will stop him from working out all of his good intention. God will do his will in us and through us. And so surely does God intend to do his will in us that he even gives us every good thing that we need to do it. God has called us to do his will and he is equipping us through his son to do it. Now, the equipping which God gives, the, the, gift, the gifts which God gives, are, are, find their culmination, find their perfection, find their apex in the one perfect gift of His Holy Spirit. How does God equip us? How does God enable us to do what He wants us to do? He sends the person of His Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of all of those who have trusted Jesus by faith. Can you think of a better gift of God for doing His will other than His own Spirit in you? And this is not, we, we've talked about this before, this is not a Star Wars force kind of thing, light side, dark side. The, the Holy Spirit is not this ephemeral, floaty sort of force that moves in and through all things. No, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. God dwells in the hearts of believers and does so to equip them to do what he wants. First Thessalonians 4 says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Have you ever sat and wondered, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What's your will for me? Well, you have your answer there in 1 Thessalonians 4. Be sanctified. Be made holy. Have your character, every thought of your mind, every affection of your heart, every action of your your hands, every word that comes out of your mouth, made holy as Christ is holy. That's God's will for you. You can apply that to every area of your life. Looking for a job, trying to decide on a school. Determining whether to buy this house or that house or this car or that car. All of God's will is our sanctification. And so, dear friends, if there's any option in your life that does not lead to sanctification, does not lead to holiness, does not lead to Christ-likeness, you can know good and well that that's not God's will for you. God equips us with his own Holy Spirit to do the good work of his will, which is to be sanctified. And his spirit living in us bears out that sanctification. Hear what scripture says in Galatians 5, through 24. The fruit of the spirit, that is the, the, the outcome of a life filled with the spirit of God by the person who has trusted Jesus as Savior. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. There's no law against being loving, joyful, peace, peaceful, or to be a peacemaker. Patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled. This is the kind of life that the Holy Spirit works out in us. This is not just any God that the author of Hebrews is praying to, and it's not just any good work that he wants, that he's praying that God will do in his people. It's the work of his sanctification that he knows himself that God will do through the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. This is not just any God. He's he's not going to do just any good work, and he'll certainly not do it through any ordinary power. May May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, keep you or equip you with everything good so that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. What's the power that God uses to equip his people to do his will? Jesus, the very person of the eternal son of God. He is the one that, that, that empowers our ability to do his will. This Jesus is, as the author of Hebrews says in verse 20, the great shepherd. 
Now, this is the first time in all of Hebrews that that word shepherd has been applied to Jesus. But the concept is, is, is clearly displayed about Jesus all throughout the New Testament in various places. And from Jesus himself, who in John 10 said, I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. Moreover, the author says that Jesus, the power of God who, who, who fulfills the will of God in us, this Jesus is the great shepherd on account of the blood that he shed to inaugurate the eternal covenant. He's the great shepherd by the blood of the eternal covenant, verse 20 says. Now this covenant put into place by the once for all death of Jesus for sins, as we saw in Hebrews 9 and 10, this covenant of this this new relationship, rules for relationship with God, which is put into place by the death of Jesus for sinners, ensures that everyone who depends on Christ will be brought into the confident presence of God by Jesus. In this way, Jesus' act of bringing believers with him to God, with confidence to the Father by faith in himself. He is the one who shepherds the souls of those who believe, those whom his blood has purchased. He shepherds us into the presence of God. This same Jesus who is the great shepherd, by means of his blood that was shed for the eternal covenant, is also glorified forever. To whom be glory forever and ever Amen, the author says in verse 21. Jesus, our great shepherd and mediator, the the priest, the go-between, the the initiator of a covenant of God's grace that will never, ever end, this Jesus is also glorified for all time. Glorified for all time. This Jesus, as the author of Hebrews has been showing us for 13 chapters, this Jesus is God in flesh co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. This Jesus, who is the power of God for doing His will, this Jesus is unmatched in beauty. He is unsurpassed in power. He is unprecedented in His redemption. He is unending in His priesthood on our behalf. He is unceasing in His shepherdly care for us. He is unequaled in worthiness of our praise. And this Jesus is the one through whom God equips believers for His good will. This is not just any God. He's not just doing any good thing. He's not accomplishing it by any ordinary power. And he's not calling us to do this by ourselves. Not by ourselves. Verses 22 through 25, we have these final greetings from the author of Hebrews, wherein are mentioned people like Timothy, the ministry partner of Paul, who apparently was imprisoned and recently released. Leaders and saints in the church. Other other maybe messengers who carried the letter to the Hebrews from Italy. The whole family of faith we see in some measure mentioned here. God does his will through Christ in us, but not by ourselves. Not not as so many billions of individual islands in an ocean called Christianity, but as a family of faith that have been brought together by the grace of Jesus Christ. So friend, just as surely as God will do his will, will sanctify you, so also will he use the whole body of Christ, every Christian that he has equipped in Christ to come together for this purpose, to come together around pursuing sanctification as believers, Christ-likeness as believers. 
Leaders and saints, messengers and ministry partners alike are all the recipients, uh, are, are, are the recipients of this glorious letter of exhortation from this author of Hebrews. The whole body of Christ, as we see in these final verses, is meant to be equipped by God to do His will, to be sanctified. And so see how from the earliest days of the church that Christians understood that this was a collective equipping. This was a collective equipping. The Spirit of God, by the power of Christ, in the hearts of believers, all together to do His will. Every member of the church of Jesus Christ, equipped by God, filled with the Spirit, strengthened through Christ to live holy lives before God and to extend the hope of glory by faith in Jesus to the whole world, not by ourselves. We are a missionary force, a family of ambassadors, as Pastor Danny reminded us this morning, to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in the world in which we live so that others may hear the gospel, believe in Christ, respond in in faith, and be transformed, be equipped through the power of Christ by the coming of the Holy Spirit to enable them to pursue sanctification too. This is a collective equipping. We in this room and those who will worship with us here in about another hour or so, are not called to simply live out the will of God, pursuing sanctification by ourselves. I don't know how many more times I'll need to say that this morning for us to really get it. But maybe many. We're not called to do this by ourselves. Now listen, your faith in Jesus for salvation is a personal faith. It's an individual faith. You cannot be saved by the faith of your husband or by the faith of your wife. You cannot be redeemed from your sins by the faith of your mother or your father. You cannot save your children by your faith on their behalf. It doesn't work that way. We are saved by our own individual faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for all our sin and who was raised from the dead in power and glory. But even as we are saved through faith, individually placed in Christ, we are called to be Christ's body, to be his bride, to be his people, adopted as sons and daughters of God through Christ. We are all in this together. And so we must care not only and take care not only for our own sanctification, for our own pursuit of holiness by the power of God through Christ in us, but we need to also care for the sanctification of those brothers and sisters who are around us. So even as we've seen this morning, Noah in declaring his faith in Jesus Christ, Noah is not on a path of sanctification by himself. He's now a member of our family of faith. And we have a responsibility to him to come alongside him to help him to pursue sanctification, holiness, Christ-likeness in all that he does. And Noah has a responsibility to us to help us to do the same. We're all in this together now, you see. God equips the power of his son Jesus, his church, to do his will. This is how the author of Hebrews ends his letter. Verse 20, he says, now. He's just spent 13 and a half chapters. I don't know how many words, I didn't count them all. Pointing us to Jesus, who is is greater than and, and far superior to everything and everyone in all of existence, He spent all this time pointing us to Christ who shepherds our souls to the presence of God as we trust in Him by faith. And it seems like he finally gets to the so what in verse 20. Now, having said all of that, now, may the God who brought you to Himself through Jesus' Son equip you to do 
all that he's called you to do. Here's a one point of application this morning. It's more a declaration of truth, but you'll see the implication of it for your life. In light of all that we've been through in Hebrews, now coming to this benediction, know this, that God, through his supreme son, Jesus, will enable you, will enable me, will enable us together to say yes to his goodwill. This God who has done all of this to save us by his grace through Jesus, his supreme son, will enable us to say yes to his goodwill. That's the promise of scripture. Now, let's be honest. Most of the time, we may not really like or prefer what God's goodwill for our life is. Sometimes it's God's goodwill that we get cancer. God, through his supreme son, Jesus, will enable you to say yes to the sanctifying process of going through cancer. Often we think of the hard things in life, the difficult things in life, the suffering of life as, oh no, that's all from Satan. None of that's from God. God only likes good things for me. False. Read 1 Peter. All through 1 Peter, Peter's writing to the church to say, God uses suffering and hardship to make you holy. And God, through his supreme son, Jesus, will enable you to say yes to his goodwill, even if his goodwill is that you get cancer. God, through his son, Jesus, will enable you to say, Lord, if cancer is what will sanctify me, if cancer is what will call me to depend more upon you for my strength, for my sustenance day to day, then so be it. Yes to cancer, so that I can be more like Jesus. I've got a friend in ministry. He's 33 years old. Last year, no. Yeah, last year. He was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer. 33 years old, stage 3 colon cancer. And his response to cancer in his life was not, God, how could you do this to me? God, how could you not protect me from sickness and death and Satan's work in the world? No, his response was, God... If it's your will for me to be more like Jesus by enduring cancer, then yes. Then yes. Because I know that you, through Christ, will give me all that I need to depend on him. All that I need to grow in sanctification. God, through his supreme son, Jesus, will enable you to say yes to his good will. Maybe God would call you to sell your house, move across the ocean to be a missionary, to take the gospel to a hard-reached Uh, hard to reach people or unreached people group or maybe just to move across the country to be a part of a new church in a difficult to reach area of the united states i don't like the idea of selling everything and moving on but if that's god's will for me to make me more like christ to cause me to depend more upon him to lead me to look at jesus and worship jesus with more of who i am then i know that god even though he calls me may call us to do hard things will also enable us through jesus to say yes to his good will so that we can look more like Jesus. God may call you as a part of his goodwill to endure difficulty in your marriage. Anytime two married people come together, even Christians, we know that two sinners are coming together to work out a process of sanctification and lifelong commitment to each other. Let's not forget that these are two sinners coming together. Marriage is hard, y'all. It doesn't get any easier. 
But it's God's good will to work sanctification, to work Christ-likeness in us, even, even when we're in conflict with our husband or with our wife. And God, who calls you to be sanctified even in times of difficulty, will enable you through Jesus, His Son, to become more like Christ as you pursue Christ-likeness even in conflict with your spouse. Any of you had a hard time raising your kids lately? I'm not raising my hand to show you how to do it. I'm raising it as saying that I have. Parenting is hard. The, the last year of, of our, not even, the last eight months of our lives as a family have been incredibly difficult. Parenting children as they're doing remote learning through school and, and, and trying to homeschool one and bringing another child into our home. I've said before, I would not have chosen 2020 to be the year that we would add to our family, that we would do all this crazy stuff. And yet God in his good will said, Stephen, 2020 is going to be a rough one. Buckle up. And all along the way of the last several months, I've been seeing as, as a parent, as a husband, and as a, as a father, just in my home, I've been seeing through all the difficult things that we've been going through. And friend, I just use myself as an example. I know that you're doing the same too. I see God showing me things about myself that I really don't like about myself. I'm an impatient person. I'm an angry person at times. I'm a really selfish individual. And over the course of the last eight, nine months, God has been revealing all of that to me with crystal clarity. Stephen, you're not there yet. And all along the way, I see Christ and his perfect patience. I see God pointing me to Jesus, his supreme son, who is gentle and lowly with those who are struggling. Jesus, who is absolutely selfless to the point of giving himself to die on a cross for the sins of those who put him there. And God saying to me in this process of sanctification, Stephen, this is my good will for you, that you be more like Christ because you're not there yet. So I'm going to show you all the things that don't look like Christ in your life, and I'm going to show it to you the hard way so that you'll depend on my son all the more. God through his supreme son, Jesus, will enable you to say yes to his goodwill. And his goodwill is your sanctification. And so the only thing that I know to leave us with this morning is the constant call of all of Hebrews, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. There is none that is greater. There is none that is higher. There is none that has any power to save you from sin other than him there is no other Savior who gave His life for you. There is no other risen Lord who is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father right now, intending and ensuring that God's sanctification takes place in the life of everyone who trusts Him. So I call you, friends, this morning, look to Jesus. Let us look to Jesus. You don't need five tips for financial freedom in your life this week. You need to look to Jesus. Friend, you don't need to be more moral. You don't need to do more good stuff in your life. You don't need to try to prove yourself to God, friend. You need to look to Jesus. God, through His Son, will equip us and enable us to say yes to His good will. He's called us to do it. He ensures that we will. Dear friends, let us pray. Let us pray that God makes us then in heart, mind, and soul, to look like his son.
that we might declare the excellencies of his grace to those who have not yet known him. Friend, if you're here this morning and you don't yet know this Jesus who enables you to be sanctified, who enables you to, make, to, to, to be holy, who shepherds your soul to God as you trust in him, I invite you this morning, trust him. Look to Jesus. Recognize that you have sins that separate you from the perfect holiness of God and see his son, Jesus, the gift of God for sinners like me and like you who gave his sinless life on a cross to pay the full penalty for all of our sin against God and was raised by God's power from the dead three days later. Look to him. Give your life to him. Make Jesus the Lord and commander, the master of your life. Depend upon him to forgive you of your sin. Lean upon him to take you to the Father. And trust that God will enable you through him to do his good will. Friend, if you need to trust Jesus for the first time and forever today, I invite you to do so. You may feel the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart or something stirring in your heart just now saying, look to Jesus, trust Jesus, listen to that voice. Listen to the Holy Spirit saying to you just now, look to him, trust him. And then, friend, let somebody here know this morning. Maybe it's a brother or sister, maybe came as a guest of one of our members today. Let somebody know, I need to trust this Jesus. I've come to trust this Jesus, and I need to make that public. Even as Noah and Pat declared their faith publicly today, so also I need to make my faith in Jesus public so I can do his will by his good grace. In a few moments as we're dismissed, I'll be outside to greet you as we go this morning. Pull me aside, let me know of your decision, of your need to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, as commander of your life. And I would love nothing more than to pray with you this morning and help you to know that you can have assurance of your peace with God, the God of peace, because you placed your faith in Jesus, who God has raised from the dead, to shepherd you to him. Church family, as we leave Hebrews for a time, I exhort us, after all that we've seen of who Jesus is, Superior in every way. Look to him. Fix your eyes on him. Anchor your heart to him. There's no other place for us to go. There's no better person for us to depend on.